This is an island surrounded by water. Yes, as is the case with most islands, Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. He's very smart. I got the feeling that something right. Knows all the best words. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering oh. how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in Pacifica middle. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. On Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. Washington, D.C.'s 105.5. And AM 950 KTNF in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on Islands or Not, over the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. I suppose I should add the caveat there is uh, one island we may not be uh, heard on right now, and that is the island of Puerto Rico, where the uh, where the uh, power is still out across much of the island. Internet is a rarity at best. We will be talking about that situation in a moment. But first, this just uh, breaking before airtime. Donald Trump uh, promised he would hire only the very best people, Desi Doyen, yes. to be in his administration. You remember that promise, I right? remember that promise. Well, another one of those very best people, another big one, uh, late on Friday, has now been forced to resign in scandal, shame, and disgrace again. Someone's going to have to do a study to see if there has ever been this many resignations and firings so soon in any presidential uh, administration. I can't imagine that there has been. It's been well over a dozen at this point. I think we're about 20 or so. And this administration is barely, what, eight months old now. Uh, Among those who have uh, quit or been fired uh, before Friday, uh, Trump's national security advisor, his press secretary, several different communications directors, his chief strategist, his acting attorney general, his FBI director, all in that very short time. Well, now this Tom Price, the Health and Human Services secretary, uh, resigned under pressure on Friday, uh, says the uh, New York Times here, as who I'm cribbing from. After racking up at least $400,000 in travel bills for chartered flights and undermining President Trump's uh, promise to drain the swamp of a corrupt and entitled capital. By the way, that $400,000, that is way low balling it. Get to that in a moment. Already in trouble. 
says the Times uh, with Mr. Trump for months of unsuccessful efforts to repeal and replace President Barack Obama's health care program. Price failed to defuse the president's anger over his high priced travel by agreeing to pay a portion of the cost and expressing regret for his actions. In a statement, the White House said that Price offered his resignation early today and the president accepted. Price's resignation came barely an hour after Trump had publicly dressed him down yet again for the second time in a week. Because that's what Donald Trump does with the best people that he hires. Uh, and said that he had uh, that he would decide whether or not to fire the secretary by the end of the day. I'm not happy, okay? The president told reporters before boarding a helicopter uh, before heading off to his New Jersey golf club for the weekend. Hmm. Price's job was on the line ever since the first of a string of reports by Politico, who did a great job on this uh, starting around mid-September, concerning the extensive use of charter aircraft by Secretary Price in a bid to assuage Trump. The secretary offered on Thursday to reimburse the government, but uh, only for about $52,000 of the $400,000 that were spent on these private chartered aircraft, which uh, uh, he had said, uh, Price had said, would pay for the cost of his own seat on those trips that didn't cover the money spent by taxpayers to fly Price's entire entourage on these uh, pricey airplanes, often to major cities where commercial flights were already uh, available for a percentage of the cost. And that $400,000 is dramatically lowballing it. Politico has since reported that Price also took expensive military jets for overseas trips to the tune of about half a million dollars. So um, that's about a million dollars total spent by Dr. Price. Yes, he is actually a medical doctor. So how's that uh, swamp draining going, Mr. President? Of course, uh, recall that Price is a self-declared fiscal conservative as well. This is just one of the reasons why I always put quotes around the word conservative when I refer to these guys. Nothing actually conservative about them. Uh, He has been leading the fight to cut government spending for everybody else, including trying to cut trillions of dollars from the from federal spending on health care, trying to gut the Affordable Care Act. So Price has been been in office 261 days. NBC News reports that makes him the shortest ever serving Health and Human Services Secretary, going all the way back to 1939. And he is not the only member of the cabinet to come under fire right now for using private jets for government travel. We could see more of this, more such firings or resignations, whatever you want to call them. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, who I know, Desi Doyen, you are a huge fan of. <laughs> uh, he he is also under fire right now for spending about $50,000 on uh, similar private chartered flights. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, was using... Who is a billionaire, by the who way. Who is a billionaire, but he... Uh, he charges the taxpayers for his flights, though. Doesn't well, miss a he, trick. Well, when he's going, right, when he's going to, to look at the gold in Kentucky... Uh, and at the uh, and at the eclipse with his uh, for his honeymoon, 
uh, with his new bride. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, also, uh, I know, another uh, you are another fan of his, uh, <laughs> Desi Doyen. He has also chartered jets on the taxpayer's dime since the Trump administration began. So we will see what happens in the days ahead with some of those other officials who have been doing something similar. As we as we spent some time reporting after Price's nomination back when he was still a congressman from Georgia, he was already known to be about as corrupt as they come. He had led the U.S. House uh, Health Committee as chair, and he sponsored a whole bunch of uh, a bunch of laws that would affect medical and insurance companies at the very same time that he was investing and buying stocks in those very same companies, often in sweetheart deals offered to him by these companies. Uh, you know, whose bottom lines would be impacted by that uh, by that legislation. Nonetheless, despite the fairly obvious corruption and pretty blatant conflicts of interest, Republicans in the U.S. Senate apparently had no problem at all with uh, with Tom Price. They confirmed his nomination pretty much without hesitation. Meanwhile, uh, Republicans in that same U.S. Senate continue to do the very same thing when it comes to Donald Trump's judicial nominees. Those are for lifetime tenures on the federal bench and the ability to affect uh, the, the interpretation of the rule of law and the U.S. Constitution itself. Those decisions affect the nation for decades. They're just waving all of those federal nominees right through at this point, no matter how crazy or corrupt their records show them to be. They don't care. They are not watchdogs in the in the U.S. Senate. We'll be joined momentarily by our friend Mark Joseph Stern, legal reporter at Slate.com, to discuss what he describes as uh, as a new plan to, yes, lay the groundwork to overturn marriage equality. Yeah, really. And we'll also discuss a high school principal who is now threatening to discipline students for taking a knee in peaceful protest during the national anthem. So do schools have the right to take away constitutional uh, free speech from students? We'll uh, we'll discuss all of that and more with Mark Joseph Stern momentarily and including if we have time the stolen Supreme Court which is now back in session with a stolen Republican majority at the helm. Yes, elections do have consequences. Uh, in the meantime, speaking of consequences, the uh, federal relief efforts uh, to Puerto Rico well over a week after Hurricane Maria are, uh, well, they're going very, very well, at least according to Donald Trump. As far as Puerto Rico is concerned, we have had tremendous reviews. We're doing a great job. Everybody has said it's amazing the job that we've done in Puerto Rico. So uh, I think we've done a really good job. We are going to do Far more than anybody else would ever be able to do. Totally. <laughs> okay. Doing a very good job. Very good job. No more one than anybody it. else has ever done before. That's right. Nobody or ever could, will right? do. That's right. Well, in a, in a series of, uh, of, of tweets on uh, Thursday night and Friday morning, Trump continued to tout his administration's response to the devastation in Puerto Rico after two hurricanes tore through the island, Hurricane Maria and what was the other one? Was it that was Irma? Yes. Uh, And uh, and Trump continued to bash the media coverage of the federal government's recovery effort so far. Trump has claimed that the media has not been covering his administration's uh, efforts fairly. And he boasted that Puerto Rico's governor told him that he was pleased with the federal government's response so far. 
Of course, officials like the Puerto Rican governor aren't idiots. They have figured out that telling Trump what he wants to hear, that he's personally doing a great job on this or that, that that's the only way that they stand a chance, frankly, of improving efforts from the government uh, at this point at all to the ravaged island. We, we, know, we know more than enough now about Trump, I think, uh, to know that telling him he's great is pretty much the only thing that he wants to hear. And he can only, you know, I can only imagine how he would respond if leaders like the governor of Puerto Rico at this point, which is currently in desperate need, if they were critical of this man-child president. Nonetheless, uh, today, during remarks to a speech to a manufacturing trade group, Trump continued to blame Puerto Rico itself, to blame the island of three and a half million U.S. citizens for their own problems citing uh, the island's distance from the U.S. mainland, among other reasons for the worsening humanitarian crisis. This is an island surrounded by water, big water, ocean water. We're closely coordinated with the territorial and local governments, which are totally and unfortunately unable to handle this catastrophic crisis on their own. Yeah, they can't do it on their own, you know, the way most places do. I remember when uh, Hurricane Harvey struck Houston. Houston totally handled it on their own. Florida totally handled uh, Hurricane Irma the week after that, totally on their own. Uh, And by the way, as far as the distance from uh, from the U.S., Puerto Rico is actually closer to the U.S. mainland than Washington, D.C. is to Mar-a-Lago. Just saying. And I think there's been quite a few flights from Washington, D.C. to Mar-a-Lago over yeah. the past uh, over the past few months. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the administration has come under fire for the way that uh, federal officials have described the recovery efforts, given that the nearly the entire island, as I said, is without power. Still, residents there are struggling to get food. Half the island does not have potable water still. Yet Trump has consistently boasted about the uh, administration's efforts. And on Thursday, his acting Homeland Security uh, uh, director, Elaine Duke, incredibly enough, actually described the situation in Puerto Rico as a good news story. I am very satisfied. Um, I I know it's a hard storm to recover from, but the amount of progress that's been made, and and I really um, would appreciate any support uh, that we get. I know it it, it is really a good news story. Totally, totally nothing but a good news story for the people of Puerto Rico. The mayor of uh, its capital city, San Juan, uh, the mayor, Carmen Yulín Cruz, appeared on CNN on Friday. She had not yet heard those remarks by DHS Secretary Elaine Duke. Uh, FEMA, by the way, is run by the Department of Homeland Security. So after, the, uh, after CNN played the comments for the mayor uh, of San Juan, uh, she seemed to be stunned. <laughs> and uh, she frankly blasted those comments from the Department of Homeland Security uh, Secretary. Well, maybe from where she's standing, it's a good news story. When you're drinking from a creek, it's not a good news story. When you don't have food for a baby, it's not a good news story. When you have to pull people down from their buildings, because, you, you know, that, I'm sorry, but that really upsets me and frustrates me. 
You know, get, get I would ask her to come down here and visit the towns and then make a statement like that, which frankly, it is an irresponsible statement and it contrasts with uh, the statements of support that I have been getting since yesterday when I got that call from the White House. This is, damn it, this is not a good news story. This is a people are dying story. This is a life or death story. This is, there's a truckload of stuff that cannot be taken to people's story. This is a story of a devastation that continues to worsen because people are not getting food and water. If I could scream it a lot more louder, it is not a good news story when people are dying, when they don't have dialysis, when their generators aren't working and their oxygen isn't providing for them. Where is there good news here? I mean, the good news is that we're getting hurt. The good news is that there's boots on the ground. The good news is that people from FEMA have their heart in the right place and the HHS people know what to do. For heaven's sake, somebody let them do their job. Let them get the food and the water in the hands of people. And then let's talk about good news. What and I'm you really sorry. But you know, when you, have, when you have people out there dying, literally, scraping for food where is where is the good news that was uh, san juan uh secretary uh, i'm sorry san juan mayor uh, uh carmen yulin cruz on friday she sounds just exhausted yeah and uh, it's she's got they have a, such a long road ahead of them. And it, it is this is such a distraction for them to not be able to get what they need and having to fight and scream and yell just to get this minimum help. Yeah, that uh, that she and to clear uh, out the red tape for them. Uh, yeah, that she and the governor have to keep going on TV to, to talk about this. There are apparently a lot of supplies sitting there in the ports, but there is no organization on the ground. Uh, to take these uh, s supplies around uh, and to get them to distribute them where they need to be. Much of the island is still reportedly unreachable by aid workers due to the uh, damaged infrastructure and the lack of organization on the ground by federal officials to move that aid that has arrived. Uh, you know, and, and, and even to San Juan itself, a lot of those goods are sitting there in San Juan and not even getting to the people in San Juan. Just horrific stories are coming out of sh you know, shortages of clean water, food, electricity. Um, even even though this uh, storm and and the consequences in Puerto Rico is getting apparently far less coverage by the mainstream corporate media itself uh, about this crisis in Puerto Rico uh, following Hurricane Maria than was seen after Hurricane Harvey in Texas and Hurricane Irma in Florida in the uh, in the preceding week. So the media itself is dropping the ball there. We have had callers. Uh, well, we had uh, a caller on uh, on the show, I think, on Thursday asking what they can do to help what it is that they, they need down there. Well, we have been pointing folks towards United for Puerto Rico dot com. That was set up by. Uh, Governor Rosario's uh, wife, uh, but there are many aid organizations out there, and uh, and this effort is going to take a very long time before things stop getting worse and finally start getting better, uh, no matter what distractions the President of the United States continues to throw at us here. And speaking of distractions, Mark Joseph Stern joins us next uh, on the fallout from Trump's 
national anthem nonsense that has been going on amidst all of this. Um, even, by the way, as the groundwork is being laid to overturn marriage equality. Yes, pay attention, people. This is the broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Several days ago on the Bradcast right here, I interviewed Mikey Weinstein of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation on uh, what seemed to be some pretty remarkable and blatant attacks on the U.S. Constitution's separation between church and state. Weinstein's group has filed a series of complaints with the Department of Defense uh, now said to be under investigation by the Air Force Inspector General concerning a guy by the name of Ch a chaplain, a U.S. Air Force Reserve chaplain named Captain Sonny Hernandez. In a recent article, for example, Hernandez uh, in this piece headlined Christian service members avoid supporting or accommodating evil. In this article uh, at a Christian website, Chaplain Hernandez, uh, a, a chaplain who is supposed to minister non-denominationally to all members of the military, writes that, quote, Christian service members who openly profess and support the rights of Muslims, Buddhists, and all other anti-Christian worldviews to practice their religions because the language in the Constitution permits are grossly in error. And deceived. Hernandez went on to charge, literally in this piece, that such folks were tools of Satan and that counterfeit Christians in the armed forces will appeal to the Constitution and not Christ, which he writes will lead them to hell. Again, he's a military chaplain in the U.S. armed forces. Weinstein, uh, the former White House legal counsel under Ronald Reagan, whose legal organization represents thousands of military member clients, uh, that organization was originally formed during the George W. Bush era to push back against a wave of blatantly unconstitutional proselytizing in the U.S. armed forces during the Bush presidency. Um, and it, it he kind of, uh, Mikey Weinstein, kind of surprised me by arguing that while we're all distracted with whatever idiocy Donald Trump is tweeting about on any given day, that same problem in the U.S. Mil military when it comes to Christian dominionism is now far worse than it was even under George W. Bush. It's Katie bar the door. An unbridled magnitude 
of hate directed towards the other. Every night and every day and every way we see it more and more and more. It's being validated. And, but not just that. We saw it back in 2004, but nothing, nothing like the last eight months. Really? It's, it's worse now than it even was under George W. Bush, as far as you're concerned? Oh, I, I, I never thought I'd say this. So right now you're, you probably can't hear me because of the sounds of hell freezing over. <laughs> I would take George W. Bush back in a heartbeat. So uh, that was Mikey Weinstein from the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Uh, So to quote a Bush era phrase, perhaps I have even I perhaps have misunderestimated the return of the rise of the religious right under this president, under President Donald J. Trump, who for his own part seems anything but an evangelical Christian, much less a a Christian anything, to be frank. Uh, So perhaps... With that in mind, I should not have been as surprised and skeptical as I initially was when I saw the headline from Slate's legal reporter, Mark Joseph Stern, this past week, arguing that Trump is laying the groundwork to overturn marriage equality. Really? Seemed kind of clickbaity to me at the time uh, when I first saw it, at least until I actually read the article. Mark writes, Donald Trump's presidency will last at most for eight years. His administration can do a great deal of damage in that time. But the judges he appoints to the federal judiciary will serve for the rest of their lives. And if history is a guide, some of Trump's hundreds of judges will still be serving in 2067. That gives them ample time, he says, to wreak all sorts of havoc on civil rights. Less than a year into this administration, it is clear that a key agenda item for Trump's judges is the rollback and eventual reversal of marriage equality. Seriously? Yes, apparently so, or at least as Mark Joseph Stern argues at Slate. So here to argue that case on the broadcast is Mark Joseph Stern. He covers the law, the court system, the Supreme Court, and LGBTQ issues, and much more for Slate.com. Hey, Mark, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks for having me back on. Always a pleasure to terrify you as best I can. Oh, and 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 you do so uh, with consistency. Even though you you had it easy a little bit over the summer, we haven't had you on a lot because the Supreme Court has been out of session. Uh, but those easy days are now over, my friend. Uh, I want to uh, I want to talk to you about your your total clickbait uh, headline there concerning Obergefell uh, and, and and maybe some other items uh, as the stolen Supreme Court with the Republican stolen five to four majority comes back into session uh, with illegitimate Justice Neil Gorsuch now on the bench bench in in earnest for the first time. But first, listen, you cited a letter published on Thursday. Uh, by uh, Daily News reporter uh, Sean King from a high school principal at Louisiana's Parkway High School that picks up on Donald Trump's ridiculous and ongoing attacks on NFL players for having the temerity to publicly exercise their First Amendment uh, constitutional rights uh, uh, you know, by kneeling during the national anthem. I want to ask you about this letter. Let me just read it. It's short. Uh, This is from Waylon Bates. He's the principal at uh, Parkway High School, which in Louisiana, he writes, the uh, Louisiana High School Athletic Association allows school principals to make decisions regarding student participation in the national anthem while competing in athletic contests and games. Parkway High School requires student athletes to stand 
in a respectful manner throughout the national anthem during any sport event in which their team is participating. Failure to comply will result in loss of playing time and or participation as directed by the head coach and the principal. Continued failure to comply with results uh, to comply will result in removal from the team. Parkway High is committed to creating a positive environment for sporting events that is free of disruption to the athletic contest or game. Well, um, we, we know that the Supreme Court has ruled over the years, Mark, that school officials have some leeway when it comes to limiting constitutional rights of students. You posed the question, however, in your piece on this letter at Slate, can public schools like Parkway constitutionally bar students from political expression in this manner? Well, uh, can they? You have the floor, and I will go out for a sandwich while you, uh, while you take it. <laughs> Thank you. This is uh, a sandwich-worthy screed I'm about to deliver. I know. Um, this letter made my jaw drop to the floor um, because it appears to me that the principal who sent it has not only never read the Constitution or the First Amendment, but has apparently never even read any case law over the last 75 years uh, expounding the principles uh, of the First Amendment, um, because it has been established for a very, very long time that students do not lose their free speech rights at the schoolhouse gate, that public school administrators are uh, bound by the Constitution uh, when they limit student activity and expression, um, and that a school cannot compel any students on campus to display some form of patriotic expression, which is essentially what this principle is trying to do. And more than that, uh, the case law is very clear that a school cannot prohibit a student from expressing themselves through some conduct uh, that is not disruptive to the course of learning. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really easy to resolve this case uh, just by reading the First Amendment, but I think we should talk about specifically what's going on here to understand why this is a frontal assault on, again, 75 years of case law. Uh, during World War II, um, there was a, a huge blowback against Jehovah's Witness students at school mm -hmm. for refusing to stand and pledge allegiance to the flag. Uh, there's a religious tenet in, in their religion that says you cannot pledge allegiance. Uh, it's some kind of sort of, sort of false prophet principle. Uh, students refuse to do it. Uh, and the Supreme Court first upheld that decision and uh, upheld uh, school's ability to uh, prohibit these, uh, these Jehovah's Witness students mm -hmm. from, you know, staying quiet, said yes. These schools can force Jehovah's Witness students to stand and salute the flag. And this decision was so catastrophically wrong, so outwardly horrible and terribly reasoned from every perspective that the court revisited it and dramatically reversed it just a few years later. And in 1943, the decision is called Barnett. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court said, absolutely freaking not. <laughs> Schools cannot force students to show any kind of patriotism. Schools cannot bar students from acting on their own principles in school. Uh, and I'll read you the, the, the key line here. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, if there is any sixth star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or for citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. That line alone clearly resolves this case. Uh, just like schools wanted to force Jehovah's Witnesses to stand and salute the flag in the 1940s, now schools want to force student-athletes to stand and respect the national anthem instead of taking a knee. And the exact same principles that applied back then apply today. You just can't do that. Students have a fundamental free speech right to take a knee during the anthem. And if this principle goes any farther with this crazy campaign, he's going to get slapped with a lawsuit that is going to make his hair fall out because <laughs> they are going to lose the second they walk into a courtroom. Well, I, I have two questions on that. One, you also write, uh, you cite the uh, that iconic opinion from Justice Robert Jackson uh, that you just read from there uh, going back to 1943, but you also cite another case, Tinker versus Des Moines Independent Community School District in 1969, which apparently made exceptions uh, for expression that, quote, materially disrupts classwork or, quote, involves substantial disorder or invasion of the rights of others. The, the principle here in this, um, in this letter from uh, Parkway, uh, Louisiana, refers to the school being committed to sporting events that are free of disruption. Uh, is there anything to his argument that these peaceful protests are, in fact, disruption that could be uh, that could fall under that uh, that disruption exception in the in the Tinker case in, in 1969? No, there really isn't. Um, and I think that's pretty obvious from the facts alone. You know, how in the world could a peaceful, silent protest simply taking a knee during an anthem uh, disrupt uh, school or learning in any way or, or disrupt the game that is about to occur in this context. Um, the, the argument against that would be... I'll, I'll, oh, I'll tell you, people start uh, booing, they show up uh, into uh, protest, counter-protesters, protest the, the kneelers. Mind you, I'm not uh, arguing that they should not be able to do this, but I could see the counter-protesters showing up. That leads to disruption, the game can't move forward, and at that point... Does the principal or the school have the right to say, oh, you're not allowed to do this because look at all the disruption it's causing, That even though we've caused it by our counter-protests? Right. So, so in the law, that's what's called a heckler's veto. And as a general rule, the government cannot use the threat of a heckler's veto to shut down speech. The, oh. the government can't typically say... We're so concerned about the adverse reaction to this speech that we're going to preemptively stop it. Mm. Um, but we don't even have to get that far in the analysis to answer this question, because the Tinker test is very clear uh, in focusing on the disruption caused by the speakers themselves not the disruption caused by people who react to the speakers. Uh, and mm. so I'll, I'll give you an example straight from Tinker. Yeah. Uh, Tinker involved five students uh, in the 1960s who wanted to protest the Vietnam War by wearing black armbands. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the time that this occurred, the Vietnam War was pretty popular 
uh, in Des Moines, uh, and actually there was a pretty negative reaction to these armbands. There wasn't violence, but a lot of students were, were very displeased with them. They said, you should be patriotic. You should be supporting our boys in uniform. Teachers were upset. It was kind of a radical act in the late 60s in Des Moines to wear a black armband protesting the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court said, you know what? We really don't care how flustered teachers or other students get. This is as peaceful as protest can be, literally just wearing a symbolic expression on your clothes. That is not disruption. Mm -hmm. And if other people react poorly to it, you know, that's on them. And it is the job of a school to maintain order in that kind of situation. You do not get to use the threat of other students reacting poorly to preempt shut down expression in this way. So yes, I understand what the principal was getting at with this whole disruption idea, but it just doesn't pass the smirk test on any level. G glad to hear it. And I and and I want to get on to uh, marriage equality here in a moment, but I have one more question on this. Um, it, it's all well and good that the law and the Constitution would seem to be on the protester side in this case. And by the way, I should add, I don't even know if uh, there are any actual protesters at Parkway High School doing this or if the principal is just you know putting out this warning preemptively but uh, but what happens mark when uh, what, what what would be the roadmap for a case like this where players are um, prevented from from playing uh, potentially suspended from the team or even from school I mean obviously a, a challenge to the Supreme Court like that, takes a while and those students would lose not only their constitutional rights but also their ability to participate in school activities and uh, potentially even the school itself while all of this is uh, is is litigated no I mean what do they do in the meantime about their rights that have been taken away their rights as students and as Americans have been taken away is is that just the way these things go no, it shouldn't be in this case, um, because the First Amendment, uh, in addition to guaranteeing free speech, um, it, it also bars government retaliation against speech that the government doesn't like. Um, and so if there are any players at this school who might want to kneel, who have read this letter mm -hmm. and are offended, perhaps this letter, uh, uh, you know, opens their eyes to some racial problems and violence against black people that taking a knee was all about, mm -hmm. and now they want to kneel, uh, if they wish to do that, then they should probably just call the local ACLU office if they can. And uh, their lawyers can file for an injunction in district court. Uh, under, you know, the First Amendment argument mm -hmm. saying, look, you have to preemptively block this threat, uh, you know, mm -hmm. to the judge. Uh, you have to block this threat from ever happening um, because this is a clear violation of the First mm -hmm. Amendment. And I suspect that with this letter alone, uh, any judge, even one appointed by Trump, uh, would probably immediately say, yes, you're absolutely correct. The judge would issue an injunction, a preliminary injunction, pro uh, prohibiting the school or the principal from actually enforcing uh, this policy. Um, and if 
that doesn't happen, if no one goes to the court uh, and tries to stop this before it occurs and the school ends up having an opportunity to retaliate uh, against students who do take a knee, uh, those students will be able to sue not just for an injunction but for monetary damages mm. um, because it is clearly established in the case law that students have a right to express dissent in this way. Uh, and because it is clearly established, um, these, uh, these, these school administrators who are enforcing an unconstitutional policy are liable. They are liable under the law uh, for their unconstitutional behavior, and these students could probably successfully sue the school for a pretty, a pretty decent amount of money. Um, so, you know, the, the, the school should, should proceed cautiously at this point, um, because it's not just a smackdown in court that they're looking at, but actual monetary damages for screwing up this badly. Mark Joseph Stern, uh, sit tight. I need to take a quick break here, and we will come back and discuss uh, your piece on uh, Trump laying the groundwork to overturn marriage equality. I think there's a lot of misunderestimating going on. Uh, right now concerning this administration. Uh, so sit tight, Mark. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about that right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. We rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back. To the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, speaking with Mark Joseph Stern, legal reporter over at Slate.com. Uh, okay, Mark, uh, so while there is what you describe as settled law when it comes to the issue of you know, protesting, kneeling uh, at, during, during football games at high schools like uh, Parkway High, as we discussed in the last segment, I've got some concerns, uh, and it seems that perhaps you do as well. When it comes to... This new stolen Republican majority on the Supreme Court now filled with some pretty radical right wingers. I've got some concerns about them actually honoring settled law, which brings us to the story, which when I saw it, when I saw the headline, I was in truth really skeptical, uh, at least until I read it. Trump is laying the groundwork to overturn marriage equality. Really? Uh, how so? And I'll go get another sandwich while you answer. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if you're if you don't believe me, then I encourage you to read the words of one of Trump's uh, latest judicial nominees for a district court in Texas. Um, district courts being uh, sort of on the ground enforcing uh, federal law. Uh, and in fact, if there were a situation like we just discussed going on in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, uh, students would go to this judge's courtroom uh, if he is confirmed. They have a lot of power, these district court judges. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't care much about them, but they do. Mm -hmm. uh, so Trump just nominated a guy named Jeff Mateer uh, to serve on a district court in Texas. Let me tell you some things Jeff Mateer has said. He has called transgender school children part of Satan's plan. He has described same-sex marriage as disgusting debauchery. He has compared it to people marrying their pets. 
and he has endorsed ex-gay conversion therapy, which you and I and most listeners surely know is really just psychosexual torture. Um, This guy may well serve on one federal court or another. He's starting at the district court level, but Mm -hmm. he might not stay there for the rest of his life, which could easily extend to 50 years. I believe he's in his 30s now. Um, And so he will have an opportunity as a sort of gatekeeper to the federal judiciary, uh, as a district court judge, uh, to hear these cases that will surely arise in Texas uh, around the edges of Obergefell. So obviously, Obergefell, the marriage equality decision, uh, guaranteed a fundamental right uh, to all same-sex couples um, that they could get married. But it actually did a lot more than that. Uh, The Obergefell decision is extraordinarily sweeping. And as we've discussed on this show before, uh, the the majority opinion says that same-sex couples deserve the entire constellation of benefits uh, that a state Uh, grants to opposite-sex couples. So basically, any kind of benefit or privilege or right that a state grants to opposite-sex couples Mm -hmm. now has to be granted to same-sex couples uh, on an equal plane. Uh, And that is a part of the decision that courts uh, that are anti-gay, that are hostile to civil rights, have read out of it completely. We've already seen this happen in Arkansas, where the Arkansas Supreme Court said that same-sex parents didn't have a right to list their names on their child's birth certificate, even though opposite-sex parents can list both of their names on their child's birth certificate Mm. when that child is not their biological offspring. The Supreme Court of the United States had to reverse that decision. Of course, Neil Gorsuch dissented. Uh, And we've seen this in Texas where the Texas Supreme Court, which is elected, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, and all Republicans, said, you know what, we aren't sure that Obergefell uh, guarantees same-sex couples the right to spousal benefits uh, on equal footing of opposite-sex couples. We can think of plenty of reasons why same-sex couples don't deserve spousal benefits. Mm. Maybe the state has a legitimate interest in favoring uh, biological offspring rather than adoptive children. This is actually something that a Texas Supreme Court justice wrote. Um, so we see this kind of rebellion against the breadth of Obergefell in the lower courts. Mm-hmm. I think that if Mateer is confirmed, he will join that chorus And I think we all know that Neil Gorsuch is a a willing collaborator, an eager collaborator with this group of judges who are trying to push back Obergefell as much as they can. Imagine that just one or two of the more progressive justices steps down during Trump's term. Uh, That would leave the door wide open for the court to begin allowing these decisions to stand. And the more decisions that they allow to stand that push back on gay rights, the more vulnerable Obergefell itself becomes. Mm. Uh, Lawyers like to call this stealth overruling. You don't take on Obergefell directly. You don't try to say, yes, courts can just deny marriage licenses to same-sex couples, but you nibble around the edges. You say, well, maybe not with birth certificates, maybe not with spousal benefits or adoption or surrogacy or health care or stuff like that. And then you have so many rulings that undercut Obergefell that the Supreme Court, stacked with Trump people, finally feels comfortable reversing Obergefell entirely. 
this is, I think, a chillingly plausible scenario for us. I absolutely believe that it could happen, and I think that we are not paying nearly enough attention to the threat because it is already it, it is already here, and it is only going to get worse. And we're talking about uh, hundreds of uh, uh, federal judges that uh, Donald Trump is likely to uh, appoint. He's already nominated. Uh, throughout his term, even if he makes the uh, even if he's removed in four years uh, or less, all of these judges are simply moving through these federal judges who will have uh, lifetime appointments on the bench. Uh, how much are Democrats themselves to blame here for doing away uh, when Harry Reid was the majority leader, doing away with the Senate filibuster? Uh, to block judicial nominees, because as far as I know, I mean, have have the Republicans rejected any of these far right nominees that you named just one, but there are tons of them that you uh, detail uh, in your story. H- have any of them been rejected and how much are the Democrats to blame here uh, for allowing these to go through without, uh, you know, with just a bare Republican majority? No, none of them have been rejected so far, and that includes John K. Bush, who's been now appointed to the Sixth Circuit, who was literally an anti-gay blogger who used the word faggot in a public speech not long ago. Um, Republicans found this guy uh, fit to serve in the federal judiciary, voted him through unanimously. Mm. Um, they've also, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee, Republicans on that committee, have also voted through a guy who says that anti-bullying laws are bad because they promote gayness in schools. Um, I don't think that there's really a line of decency that these people are willing to draw. Uh, and so I think that it, unless Democrats can take the Senate uh, in 2018, we're going to see four years and hundreds of judges uh, pass through with really little public outcry. Now, your other question, that's a little bit trickier because, of course, you know, Democrats were in a real bind uh, in 2013 when Harry Reid nuked the filibuster. Mm -hmm. Um, They had these very, very qualified nominees, and Republicans simply refused to budge on them. Uh, And so I think that uh, it's very understandable what Reid did. And in fact, I strongly suspect that if he had not nuked the filibuster in 2013, that Mitch McConnell probably would have nuked it for lower Mm. court judges in 2016, or I suppose 2017. Um, That is the more likely route to me. So Mm. I don't really blame McConnell. I think he did what the base demanded and what he felt he had to do. And because of his actions, uh, Democratic appointees now hold a majority of seats on several very influential circuit courts, including the D.C. Circuit the second most important court in the country. So I wouldn't lay this at the feet of Harry Reid. I would lay it at the feet more broadly of a Democratic Party that is unwilling to deal as ruthlessly uh, with the judiciary as Republicans are. They're just playing a different game. Republicans are completely ruthless in their endeavor to stack the courts with wackadoodles. Uh, And until Democrats learn some lessons, I think there are some positive lessons to be learned uh, about rallying your base around the importance of the judiciary, uh, then this problem is just going to keep going on and on and and getting worse and worse. It it is, and there's no real good remedy for it because, as you say, these people will be on the the courts throughout the country now for uh, for decades, frankly. Yeah, that's right. I I recently had a conversation with Judge Damon Keith uh, on the Sixth Circuit. Mm -hmm. He was first appointed to the federal judiciary by LBJ in 1967. 
So, as I said in my piece, you know, I think it's absolutely plausible. In fact, I think it's pretty inevitable that in 2067, we will be living with Trump judges still. That is a long damn time. And Democrats need to get their act together, or the world is going to be incredibly bleak uh, in, in 2067, so bleak that Trump judges may be the least of our problems. Jesus. Uh, one, uh, one, one more just quick thought on this, uh, Mark. One, a commenter on your article about uh, Obergefell already being under attack in the courts uh, says uh, Trump is... Laying the groundwork, uh, well, he says Trump is not laying the groundwork for anything, at least not intentionally. Uh, I think that's a fair point. Uh, To be fair, does Trump even himself know that he is doing this? He has pretty much outsourced uh, the appointment of judges entirely to the Federalist Society, to the Heritage Foundation. Uh, I don't know if it's fair to say that he's laying the groundwork to overturn marriage equality because I don't even know if he realizes that, although that may be a distinction without a difference at this point. Right. I I think that commenter made a really good point. I I don't mean to give Trump any credit here. He is rubber stamping these nominees. Uh, You know, he's, he's an important part of the process. But like I explained in the article, he's really farmed this out. He's farmed out the appointment of many, many, many important positions uh, to these outside groups like the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation. They are the ones who have groomed these guys for decades, Mm -hmm. uh, preparing them for this moment. And they are the ones who are compiling the lists uh, that Trump is now just sort of rubber stamping and getting these guys in the judiciary. So you're right that it's, it's ridiculous to pretend that Trump knows what he's doing, but he doesn't have a problem with just letting other groups do it. So yes, he's asleep at the switch, but the, the train is hurtling toward the same uh, cliff no matter what. As I noted, I suspect we're going to talk a lot more in the uh, in the near future. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern, now that the Supreme Court is coming back into session, uh, we, we already some troubling stuff going on there that we don't have time to get into today. But I want to get very quickly before I let you go, Mark, uh, y- your thoughts on, well, who I and I think you describe as illegitimate Justice Neil Gorsuch uh, palling around in Kentucky Uh, With Mitch McConnell last week, the guy who stole his seat for him uh, and then uh, over uh, the past week speaking at the Trump Hotel, Neil Gorsuch was the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. this week as the court comes back into sessions. Very quickly, uh, your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's obviously awful, and I think specifically what's so disgusting about it is not that it clearly violates a specific ethical code. You know, the Supreme Court is not actually bound by any ethical code. Uh, the justices pretend to follow it, and they, they, I guess they mostly do, but if they, if they transgress ethics, nothing actually happens to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Gorsuch uh, unlike may, Unlike the federal, I mean, there's actually... Uh, rules for the district courts and the appellate courts that do not apply to the Supreme Court, correct? Yes, that's exactly right. That, that's, what I, that's what I mean. Yeah. These exact rules that apply to the lower court judges, the justices say they follow them, but again, because there are no consequences when they don't, um, I don't think that they, they adhere to the letter of the law the way that lower court judges do. But, but what's important here, I think, is that the spirit of the ethical code is very, very clear 
that judges should do their absolute best to maintain the appearance of impartiality, the appearance of impartiality. Uh, and that is an important phrase, because what we see here is Neil Gorsuch, I think, basically trolling his political opponents. Hmm. He's giving a speech to this group at Trump Hotel that helped to finance a challenge to public sector unions uh, that the court just accepted. And this term, Gorsuch, will almost certainly provide the fifth vote to kneecap public sector unions. And here he is chumming it up with them at a luncheon at Trump Hotel. And, and there he is over in Kentucky with Mitch McConnell, the two best buds uh, who, you know, enabled each other's uh, current positions. Uh, it's really disgusting to see. And it, it shows that Gorsuch just doesn't care about his illegitimacy problem. Yep. He really doesn't care that so many people view him as sitting in a stolen seat. Uh, he's not going to do anything to try to maintain the appearance of impartiality. And in fact, he's going to do the opposite. He's going to stick his thumb in our eye with his lack of impartiality. He's going to mock us with his actions, showing us just how little he cares uh, about looking like a truly impartial judge. Yep. This is not like speaking before the Federalist Society, speaking before the ACLU, or even a group that litigates, uh, say, uh, you know, reproductive rights. This is something very different. This is about money and political power alone. He is showing that he has all the power in the world. He's got it, and he doesn't care what anybody says about him. If he's illegitimate or in a stolen seat, doesn't matter, because he can cast that fifth vote when it counts, and that's all he cares about. He's not even pretending. Uh, you're right. Uh, you know, you could pretend for a year that, hey, I'm, I'm not going to speak out. I'm not going to do this or that. The fact that he's not even pretending uh, to be impartial here is is not a good sign as we start this uh, new Supreme Court session. Mark Joseph Stern, I'll point f- uh, people over to, as usual, over to Slate.com to read your piece uh, about Trump laying the groundwork to overturn marriage equality, uh, about that uh, Parkway High School case uh, or issue. It's not yet a case, but may soon be. Uh, and uh, more of your thoughts on Gorsuch and all that you do. Mark Joseph Stern, uh, we will talk to you soon, uh, folks. Folks can find you at Slate.com and on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Thanks as ever for joining us, uh, Mark. Buckle up. (laughs) I am all buckled in and ready for takeoff. Thank you, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right, I got to get out. Uh, My thanks also to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us today. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, please download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And my thanks, as ever, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to uh, become an active supporter to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Whether we do it well or not, I can't tell you, but we try our damnedest, we? Don't do we? try. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, that is it for now. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.